Well, I want to talk this morning on our uh, subject called Simplify. That's our series and doing the important things well. And uh, the team, and I was keen to speak on this subject, which I speak all over the world on uh, everywhere I go. I would normally deliver this message. I haven't done it here for five years. So if you remember it from five years ago, well done. I mean, well done. And if you've traveled with me, you will have heard it. But uh, this is such a key subject for all of us. This is foundational for the Christian life. If you're a, a teenager or a tennis player, you need this message. If you're a pilot or a pensioner or both, you need this message. If you're six foot six or four foot four, if you're two stone or 12 stone, if you're two stone, you need prayer. Uh, 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 (laughs) If you're a a size one or a size 20, whatever size you are, you need this message. If basically, if you're breathing, you need this message. If you're still breathing by the time I've finished, you needed this message. You need this message. What is it? Walking in forgiveness. Walking in forgiveness. It is foundational for the Christian life. How do we walk in forgiveness? I needed it twice yesterday. Twice yesterday. I did. I was driving in an area around here. I pulled over to let another car pass. He flashed me to let me go. And I, but I was already pulled over, so I flashed him to let him come. And then he flashed me again, so I flashed him. Anyway, in the end, he came. And as he came past me, he was shaking his fist and swearing and shouting at me. I could tell through the window. I was, I was just being polite. Why are you upset with me? And then a few, a few hours later, I was in Milton Keynes. That's not relevant, but I was in Milton Keynes. <laughs> Those of you are from Milton Keynes. And, uh, and, a, and a grandma with two grandchildren in the back. I mean, she must have been in her 60s. Two grandchildren in the back cut me up around about. I mean, literally just didn't stop. Cut straight. If I'd have been a meter or two ahead, um, we'd have hit her for sure. And of course, I did what every good Christian pastor did. I beeped her. And, and, and I beeped her. And as I beeped her, do you know what she did? She stuck two fingers up at me. <laughs> uh, I was like, I didn't think grandmas did that sort of thing. This is the reality of life. We need to walk in forgiveness on a daily basis. You know, um, sometimes it's in the big things and sometimes it's in the small things, as I've illustrated it. Caroline and I were at a conference. A lady, Iranian lady, she'd fled from her country and she'd become a believer. And as she'd come out of that country, she was telling Caroline her story. And her story was this simply when she'd converted to Christ... Her husband was so mad. He, they were Muslim background. Though. He was so mad with her. He used to beat her uh, in her face, shouting, swearing in her face, just to her, his hatred for her because of what she'd done in converting to Christ. And then when that didn't work, he would bring other women into the house to sleep with them in their bed just to shame her because of what she had done. You're dead to me. This is sort of thing. Anyway, she had to flee. And Caroline was praying for her, and she said, I, I just all, whenever I close my eyes, I see his face and the hatred in his face. And whenever it's quiet, I hear his words. What, what do I do? And Caroline knew there's only way out of this. But how do you say it? How do you say it to someone? You've got to forgive. But it's a hard call, isn't it? It's a hard call. Jesus tells this story, and you can read it in Matthew chapter 18, and, and basically it's like this. He was walking with the disciples, and Peter, who is always the most outspoken disciple, Peter's the one that I can relate to. He is always outspoken, always putting his foot in it. He thought he was doing quite well, because Jesus had talked a lot about forgiveness, and Peter thought, Do you know what, I'm doing pretty good on this. He said, but apart from one person, his brother, we think it's probably Andrew, 
And so Andrew, we don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was tripping him up as they were walking. Maybe he had a nickname for him that came from their childhood that he still called him when no one, Jesus wasn't listening. Who knows, you know? Who knows what it was? But he was winding him up. And so Peter says, well, this forgiveness thing. He said, but what, what happens when you've got this? And he comes to Jesus and says, what, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he thought he was doing quite well. He said, how about seven times? I think that's doing, taking your teaching, Jesus, and really, you know, going well with it. You know, I think I'm doing well. And Jesus says, not, 70 time, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Peter quickly does the math. That's 490 times. Then he began to think to himself, what happens if I get to 491? <laughs> Can I have resentment then? But the point, of course, was this. That actually Jesus was illustrating this, and he illustrated it with a story. He said there was this king, and this king was owed a huge debt by his servants. And so he called the servants in one by one. And one servant came in, and he owed the king 50 uh, talents, 5,000 talents, sorry. And 5,000 talents in those days, in, if it were a gold, a silver talent, it would be worth about 50 million quid. If it were a gold talent, 250 million pounds this king was owed by his servant. And so the king uh, says, you need to pay me. I'm not sure you ever can pay me, but you need to start paying me. And the servant's like, please, I beg you, I, I just, I need more time. And so the king says, no, no, you, you've had enough time. You need to pay me now. I'm going to throw you and your family into prison until they're paid. I'm going to sell you into slavery until you paid the debt. And the servant says, please, just give me more time. I will pay you. And I guess the king thinks to himself, he thinks, this guy's never going to be able to pay me. The debt is too great. So he says, you know what? I'm going to forgive you your debt. I'm going to let you off from your debt. You don't need to pay me back. <gasps> the servant is so relieved. <laughs> Can you imagine that amount of debt lifted off you in a moment like that? Well, anyway, so he goes out excited, but he runs into another servant, and this servant owes him money. Now, part of the reason he hadn't been able to pay the king's debt was because this guy owed him some money, actually about 100 denarii, about eight pounds. But it's all part of it. And so he grabs this guy and he says, you haven't paid me. Pay me what you owe me. And the servant says, please, I haven't got it. I beg you, please give me some more time. He says, no. And he throws a servant, this other servant, into prison until this guy will pay. Well, the king's other servants heard about this and they were livid. How could this guy do this? So they get and tell the king. They went and told the king. Well, I'll tell you what, when the king heard, he was furious. He drags this servant in and he says, you wicked, wicked man. I forgave you a debt of 250 million pounds and you threw someone in prison for eight pounds. You are going to be thrown into prison yourself and you will be there. And this is what Jesus says. He says, you will be given over to the tormentors until you have paid what you owe me. And Jesus makes this comment right at the end as he's talking to his disciples. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And Peter thinks to himself, I wish I'd never asked. I wish I'd never asked. Off the back of that, let's talk about forgiveness for a moment. Three things. The Firstly, the power of forgiveness. And it starts with this. Our immense unpayable debt, 250 million pound debt has been paid by grace. When Christ went to the cross, he paid for your unpayable debt. 
And that debt is made up of the small things, you know, that time you kicked the dog, sat on the hamster on purpose. You know, those little things. The time, I mean, I remembered a story when I had a friend over for, for a, a, a coffee and a, and a bit of cake, and, and so there, there was, I cut the cake, and uh, I realized when I'd cut it in the kitchen, he was in the lounge, I realized when I'd cut it, I'd cut the two pieces unequally. And I thought to myself, I was really fancying this cake. I thought, I don't want to give him the big piece, but it will look greedy if I keep the big piece. Anyone else ever been in that? It will look greedy if I keep the big piece. So do what I do? While he was in the lounge, I cut the big piece down to be the same size and ate that extra bit. <laughs> and he never knew. Until now. I mean, he might be here. I don't know. <laughs> Those little things and the big things. Before I came to Christ, I was a liar. I was sexually immoral. I was financially a thief. Those things and those little things, Jesus says, amount to an unpayable debt that we owe. Mark, Mark, Mark Marks was a, an evangelist from Ireland, and he was out on the streets one time praying for a guy. The guy was sitting down, and he was kind of kneeling next to him, praying for this guy. I think he had a bad back or something. Anyway, this guy, as he's praying for him, throws up all over him over Mark, over his front, down his back. I mean, it was just everywhere. And he was like, oh. Anyway, he had some kitchen roll, and he cleaned himself up and cleaned the guy up, but then carried on praying for him and embraced this guy and prayed for him. They're both absolutely stinking of vomit. And he was, he was walking home. If you've ever had this experience, you're walking home thinking, what on earth was that about? <laughs> I mean, God, I'm your servant going out on your work. You could have at least told me to duck or dodge. And God spoke to him and he said, that's what your sin smells like to me. We just don't get it. We don't get how filthy we are. But the good news is this. You've been forgiven by grace. He embraced you with your vomit-covered clothes. He embraced you and brought you to himself. Psalm 103 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Jesus, when he was being beaten, before that they put on to him a scarlet robe, a, a, a purple robe, to mock the fact that he had claimed to be a king. And Isaiah, 600 years before, saw that moment and he prophesied, Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Jesus became scarlet like our sin so that we could know what it means to know whiteness of snow, <laughs> to know our guilty conscience is washed clean and removed. He deals with the sin and even the cause of the sin. John, 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word unrighteousness is a, a Bible word that talks about the state of the heart. It's, a, it's the fact that we have a propensity to sin. We are born, before we even think really, we are start sinning. We start rebelling. Anyone had a baby, you'll know that. <laughs> They just rebel from the earliest possible age that they can. They rebel. You say no, they say yes. <laughs> we are born with this, but Jesus' power on the cross released us from even that propensity such that our whole nature was transformed. That is good news right there. Yeah, right. Rufus Mosley said this, he more than forgives us. He turns our liabilities to assets, our self-made hells into heavens, 
no matter how badly we mess up, if we turn the mess and the messer over to him, he unmesses the messer and he makes an asset out of the mess. <laughs> I love that. He unmesses the messer and he makes an asset out of the mess. Even your sin and mistakes and brokenness, he can turn that to be an asset. Who's seen that in their lives? I just Caroline and I, excellent. <laughs> you will see this as you give yourself to him and let the power of his cross change you and transform me. You have been forgiven. You can summarize Jesus' message as this. Forgiven forgivers find freedom. <laughs> forgiven forgivers find freedom. And even when sickness is rooted in sin, sometimes our physical sickness is connected to our sin. Not always, the Bible's quite clear on that, but sometimes, and doctors have even seen this today, that states of the heart affect the body, that bitterness has an effect on the body. And when you get to that realization that you've been forgiven and it comes into your soul, I've seen people totally healed physically. I mean, the most dramatic story for me was a lady, she had a back condition, chronic back condition, she did for 15 years, couldn't bend down, couldn't sit down properly on the floor with her kids, car had run into her, she'd had this, chronic, had this chronic accident and had this condition 15 years. And I asked her, we prayed for healing, nothing happened, nothing seemed to change. I asked her, have you forgiven the other driver? She said, I think so. Well, I led her in a little process, which I'll lead you in this morning. About 30 minutes, 20 minutes later, she was crying, had forgiven this driver in a, in a whole new level. And I said, well, now let's pray for healing. And we prayed for her. Immediately, she bent down and touched her toes, pain-free. I've seen that a number of times, but what was notable about this one was her daughter ran from the back, and she said later, she said, I saw a woman dressed like my mother touching her toes, and I have never seen my mother touch her toes in my life. She was about 15. She had been born after the accident. I've never seen her, and they wept together as God broke in, but it was the power of forgiveness that released that healing. Something about it changed something in her heart. Don't know how it works. So the power of forgiveness is critical, and you can know that today. If you have not embraced or walked in, if you've got something in your conscience that makes you feel Ugh, guilty, Ugh, hide it, Ugh, shameful, whatever it is, if you've got something in there, then you need to know today the power of the cross is there for you, that Jesus' blood can wash you clean and give you a new start. That's the power of forgiveness. The second thing is this, the extent of forgiveness let me read you this little story from a lady called Corrie Ten Boone. It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next moment a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room, the harsh lights, the pathetic pile of dresses, the shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath a parchment-thin skin. Betsy and I, my sister, had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there 
and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, horrible death simply by asking for it? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, hand out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, their sins, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you must supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then a healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard, the former prisoner, I had never known God's love as intensely as I did right then this is the power and the extent of forgiveness that we're called to forgiveness is not about letting time pass you know time heals no one Jesus is the only one who heals he is the only one who can bring you into freedom it's not about being a doormat or even an enabling and abuser it's not dependent on feelings it's not minimizing well it wasn't so bad you can tell if there's an issue because it's like a scar. If you press it and it still hurts, you know there's something still stuck in there. It's not about excusing, oh, well, he wasn't to blame, you know, maybe he had a bad background or whatever it might be. It's not about any of that stuff. Forgiveness is tied intrinsically with our willingness to forgive others. We forgive as we have been forgiven. But I don't know about you, but I do not like to forgive like that. A friend of mine, he had done something that, I mean, he had told something that I had said in confidence to, to the person I'd said it about, and it, it just caused me a whole bag of pain. And I had to work it out with that person, and he, he knew and I knew. So he came to me, my friend, and, and he, he knew that I knew, and he, he knew that I'd been working on this for a week, trying to rebuild a relationship. And he said, I'm just so sorry, will you forgive me? And I said, I will, but just lie on the floor and let me kick you first, because... <laughs> He said, I will, that would really help me as well. <laughs> we didn't do that, actually, it wouldn't be healthy. But anyone want to forgive like that? I just want to punish them a little bit first. I want to freeze them out. I want to hurt them. Or I want to gossip about them. Just let me punish them a little bit. But Jesus says, as you have been forgiven, in that way should you also forgive. Do you want God to punish you a little bit first? Don't think so. Jesus took your punishment on the cross. And in the same way, we can walk into forgiveness, letting people go. It's not to be surface level, it's to be, be from the heart, as we talked about. I'll often talk to people and say, have you forgiven so-and-so? And they'll say, yes. And then a few 20 minutes later, as they're crying, and think, they think, maybe I hadn't forgiven, maybe I didn't ever forgive. Well, they had, but it has been up here. You see, it's easy to say the words, oh, I forgive you. They trip off the tongue like that. Oh, I forgive them, I forgive them, I forgive them. But if it hasn't gone to here, then it's not deep enough. If it hasn't got to the point where you can bless that person and genuinely hope that God puts his blessing and favor on their life, then it hasn't gone deep enough. If you're thinking deep down, I, I know that one day, they'll, I hope one day they'll get their comeuppance, then it hasn't gone deep enough. 
Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. There's a depth to forgiveness. And then there's an extent where it has to be extended repeatedly. Some of you know that. You're living in relational situations where forgiveness is an ongoing thing. I am... I had an occasion, Caroline and I had an occasion, we were early married, where I was, we were sold an insurance that we didn't need and we were totally conned paying an amount every month for five years and every time that amount went out of the bank, it was sickening. There was nothing I could do to get out of it. It added up to thousands of pounds over five years and when I worked that out, it was just like, ugh! And there was no escaping because it was five years and I worked it early on. Every month it would go out and every month it would go out and every month it would go out and we needed that money! And the worst thing was I used to cycle past this guy's office or drive past it every day. So there was like this daily reminder and a, and a monthly reminder of this guy's sin. It, what he did was ele- is made illegal now, but it was in the day when it was kind of a gray area. But he, he knew it was wrong. And, and as, we, as, we, as, we, as I cycled there, the Holy Spirit would say to me, Simon, will you forgive him? And at first I was like, I will forgive him, but burn his office down and him in it. <laughs> because he should not be living like this. And then a few months later or weeks later, God will say, will you forgive him? I will forgive him, but burn his office down. I guess he can escape, but burn his office down anyway because he needs to go out of business. He shouldn't be doing this to young married couples. And then a few months later, will you forgive him? I will forgive him, but let him at least lose his business. Let him at least go bankrupt. Will you forgive him? All right, I will forgive him. And I bless his business. And I pray that he comes to the revelation of the truth. I pray that he comes to know you, God, as I have come to know you, that he would live a different way. I bless what he is doing and about. I pray that he would prosper. It takes a time to get to that place, doesn't it? It's a journey, but we must not stop until we get there. And often we'd like to partially forgive. Anyone do that? You want to follow Jesus' words, so what you do is I'll forgive him for that bit, but I won't. Just don't talk to me about that bit. I'll, I'll forgive that bit. Don't talk about that bit, but, but then in what you do, what you're doing, what we're doing in that is we're forgiving partially so we can say when, whenever we read Jesus, we think, oh yeah, I have forgiven. Have you? <laughs> Partial forgiveness is not forgiveness, you see. God wants that bit that you won't forgive. That's the bit he's interested in, the bit that's hard, the bit that feels like the cross. That bit is the bit that walks you into freedom. Partial forgiveness is unforgiveness, and unforgiveness is disobedience. Jesus said, when you forgive, forgive from the heart. This is what the new community looks like. This is what people that he is building. This is how he is changing the world through a people who forgive and have learned to forgive. It's not the same as reconciliation. You know, reconciliation takes two parties. It takes a change in the other person Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. There was no reconciliation. They were crucifying him right then. There was no change in their relational status. But what happened? Jesus forgave them from the heart. It's the same for us. We should pursue reconciliation, but forgiveness is independent from reconciliation. When we forgive, it changes us on the inside. If we don't forgive... This is what Jesus says, we deliver ourselves over to the tormentors. I don't even know what that means. I don't even totally understand that. But what I do know is this, I've seen it at work in my life and other people's lives. Someone said this, holding a grudge against someone is like drinking poison and waiting for them to die. (laughs) That's the reality, isn't it? It eats you up from the inside out. Sometimes they don't even know. They don't even know that you've got a forgiveness issue. 
Confucius said this, before you begin a journey of revenge, dig two graves. <laughs> and lastly, forgiveness must extend to ourselves. Matthew 22 says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone said this, if you don't love your neighbor, if you don't love yourself, then God help your neighbor. <laughs> Isn't that true? How many of us actually are mean to other people because fundamentally, at a deep level, there is something you've done, a regret that you have, something where you messed up, and the anger inside is directed not out there, but in here. And because it's in here, it bounces off and hits other people. They get the splashback of your unforgiveness in your heart. I was like that many, over many issues. But when you're able to forgive yourself, I, I was praying with a, a friend recently who'd not told something to someone for years He'd never told anyone before this thing. It had been in his heart for years. And the key thing for him was forgiving himself for the mistake. And it just brought a peace and a joy into his spirit. Still on a journey, but something shifted. Forgiven forgivers find freedom. They find freedom on the inside and out. They dispense freedom wherever they go. So you might be thinking this. So, okay. I've realized there's this person, there's this situation where I have not forgiven, even for myself. But how do I forgive from the heart? What does that look like for me? And this is a process that we have used for years and seen countless people come into freedom by using this process. The, the, the tool which you can find in our discipleship manual is, a, is simple, five, five steps. It's just a tool. It pulls together a number of different threads to help you make sure that you are forgiven from the heart. Some of you have got a person in your mind right now and you're like, I wish I hadn't come today. I wish I skipped this morning. I wish I had. I didn't want to face this. But you know what? If you face it, you will find freedom. That toxic stuff on the inside, you think, if I, if, but if I forgive them, they get away with it. No. You leave them into God's hands. He then deals with them. You're like, yeah, I can wish his judgment on them. No. You hope that God blesses them. Separate yourself from this. You will find freedom if you will just go and do what Jesus says. And I'll illustrate the process with a, a story. A, a guy came to pray with, with me and asked me to pray for him. And as we did, as we talked, he said the issue that he was facing was he didn't really love his wife or his kids. And I said, what? You seem to have quite a happy family. What do you mean? He said, well, he said, I've read all the books. I've read the marriage books and the parenting. He said, I can go through the motions and do the right thing, but there was just, it's just like I'm dead on the inside. I just don't feel anything. I don't feel love. I don't even know what that feels like. And so I said, well, tell me, tell me about your upbringing. Tell me how, how your family you're raised. And we just began to talk. And he just outlaid a story of such isolation. Even though his parents cared for him, they financially provided for him. He was such an isolated individual. That he had never been told he was loved. He had never been told that, that there was never any affection, never hugged, never embraced, no warmth. No, nothing. It was just financial provision, a safe home, and that was it. But he was just dead in the inside. And so I said, well, why don't you do that? And this is the, the first thing. Is Firstly, it's recognizing. Got him to close his eyes. And I said, why don't you just tell God, that, and we started with his dad, that your dad sinned against you. He's like, well, I've never seen it like that before. I said, your dad sinned against you. And this is, he's got a, he's He's got a, a responsibility as a father to give you an impression of what God is like. And the impression that he's given you is that God is distant and uncaring, that he's got no affection for you. Is that right? No, it's not right. Well, then you need to forgive him. It's sin. 
And so he began to acknowledge that to God. Yet, God, I see that this is sin, that my dad, even though he had an upbringing that was not healthy himself, it's still wrong what he did. Even though he didn't know it was wrong, it was still wrong, it's still sin. I recognize it. That's the first step, recognize it. Second thing is this, a sense of emotional release, expression of what is on the heart. Forgiveness has got to go to the heart, and the heart has got to be involved, and the heart is the seat of the emotions. So I said, why don't you just picture your dad in front of you and tell your father how it made you feel. He says, okay, I think I can do that. It's a bit odd, but I can do that. He said, dad, it really hurt me when you didn't love me as I wanted you to or give me any affection or hug me. I was like, okay, I'm not totally sure we're getting here. Okay, so I said, right, what, what I want you to do is, if you, your son, he's about six, isn't he? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to picture him in the same room as your dad, and I want you to walk in as an adult and talk to your dad as if it were happening to somewhere else. He's like, that's a bit confusing. I was like, no, just, just go with it. So he, he does that. In his mind, he walks in. His son is in the room. His father is raising his son as he raised him, and, he, and, and, and his job was to talk to his dad. If he were to walk in on that scene, what would he say? What would he say to his father if someone, he was raising someone else like he raised him? And he walked in his mind. He said, Dad, and I'll tell you what, we had 20 minutes of this. What is wrong with you? <laughs> This kid is dying in there. He is dying. It's like he's desperate for a hug. Just embrace him for crying out loud. Do something. Show him that you care. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your love. He's crying. There's snot everywhere. And he's swearing. And he was like real ugly. I was like, okay, I think we're getting somewhere. <laughs> See, for so many, that stuff is all in there. Why does the heart feel dead? Because the heart has been told to feel dead. Because it's too painful. We tell our heart, shut down, shut down, shut down. It's too, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. And after a while, our hearts go, okay. But you can't not feel that stuff and still feel the rest of life. It doesn't work like that. You've got to let your heart feel. And sometimes that hurts at first. And so anyway, he gets this stuff out. And then I led him through the process of, uh, often this is a helpful uh, next step, is to picture um, uh, a cord, a rope between him and his father. And I said, I want you to cut that card. That's what forgiveness means. It means to cut. It means to release it. It's, it's a releasing of him. So he released his dad. Dad, I release you from the debt you owe me. This is between you and God now. This is not my deal anymore. I release you. And also to repent of any of the lies that he had believed, that he was rejected, that he wasn't loved, all of this stuff. We went through this process. Then we began to eject the lies. And the way that I've found helpful to do this is to picture, just imagine Jesus walking into this scene. He was there. He knows. He saw it all. And to picture him with a box and to put in that box all of the junk, eject the stuff, eject the self-hatred, eject the lies you believed, I'm unloved, I'm unwanted, all of that stuff you know is in there. Sometimes this is a life-changing moment because lies that have bothered you for years will get fixed right now as you put those lies in the box. And then the picture is that Jesus absorbs that box into himself. That's what happened on the cross, actually. He became sin for you and me. Our sin, other people's sin. He became that sin. He absorbed it in himself. And then the picture is this. He gives you a box in replacement. And it open, you open that box and see what he gives you. And we'll do that in a moment. And then lastly, it's this receiving. Receive the grace of the Spirit for the life ahead, to walk this forgiveness out. Because he still had to deal with his dad and his mum. He still had to walk this thing out. And that little process is what I led him through. I tell you, a few weeks later, I spoke to him. I said, how's it going? He said, he said it's like I'm a different person. He said, I was at work. I'm a task mode person. When I get at work, pff, I just do tasks. 
And he said, I was in the middle of the morning and I looked at my desk as a picture of my son and I just burst into tears for no reason. So I just started crying, weeping, howling at my desk, looking at my son. And I was thinking, I love that kid. And I began to get excited. I said, I think I'm feeling something. I think I'm feeling something. And then he said, I went home a couple of days later and my wife was in bed. And normally he said, when I get home, if the washing up's not done, which it wasn't, if the house is a bit of a mess, which it was, I would be, by the time I got to bed, I was so annoyed. I've been working hard. What's she been doing all day? All these thoughts. So he said, I went upstairs and I saw my wife in bed asleep. And he said, instead of all that stuff, he said, I just burst into tears. And I thought to myself, I love her. I love her. She's such a gift to me. And he said, all that stuff, that negative stuff just faded away. He said, I just wept. She's asleep there. I just wept with love for her. So I thought to myself, I think it might be working. (laughs) There's something about forgiveness that changes people's lives. The lady we started, I told the story about the Iranian lady. She came back excitedly. I think we had two or three days of session. She came back after one, and she said, when I close my eyes, I can no longer see my husband's face and all that hatred. A few sessions later, she said, I was a, went to bed last night. She said, and it was quiet, and that's normally when I hear his voice. And she said, I can no longer hear his voice. I can no longer feel that hatred that he had for me. This is the power of forgiveness. Forgiven forgivers find freedom. And it has an amazing effect in families. We had a, a story, I think I've told you before, of a guy, his brother had got a girl pregnant and then fled. It left a mess for the family to clear up and had gone for like five years, hadn't seen him, hadn't spoken to him for five years. He walks through this process, forgives his brother, breaks the judgment that he'd had towards his brother, and then kind of that was a session. Lunchtime, comes back the afternoon, shares his story. His brother phoned him that lunchtime. He hadn't spoken to him for five years. His brother phones him that long. I don't even know how this works. But I tell you this, it is powerful. When Jesus said, this is the way we're to live, he was serious. There's no escaping from this. This is the reality of a new community. We are called to be forgiven forgivers. We are called to model something to the world around that changes us and changes them We are called, as it were, and I think this is part of what it means to join with Christ in his sufferings, as it were. What what does that mean? But we know this, it means this, that as he on the cross said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing. We are to live like that. As he is, so we are in the world. We are to live like that with a constant stream of forgiveness. God, these people around me do not know what they are doing. And as we live like that, and as we receive forgiveness for our sins, we will change the world because no one else lives like this. This is the new community that God is birthing onto the planet. Why don't we just take a moment to pray?